especially what I'm noticing from Disney, there's others as well, is this, this tension between parents who have to let go and kids who, who need their independence. I see this a lot. I, I, heard, I remember one person saying about the movie uh, Finding Nemo, another Pixar Disney movie, uh, and I love I love Finding Nemo. It's a great movie. Just, just it's funny. It, it's good. But uh, someone said it's it's a story about a prodigal son. You know, Nemo goes away, and Marlon, his dad, has to go get him. And really, it's not. It, it's actually, I think, a movie about a prodigal dad. Right? I mean, if you've seen the movie, wh- how it really plays out, you have this really overprotective dad, and you have this son, Nemo, who's going to go to school, but the dad's scared to let him go. And the first taste of freedom that Nemo has, the dad's like, no, we've got to pull back the reins. We've got we to gotta stop. This is not good. And uh, I was thinking about that movie, and I'm like, what is the message here? The message is not just how brave can a dad be to go find his son who was captured by a fisherman. Um, the, the, the story really is a dad who just needs to learn to let go a little bit and let his son be himself and, 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 and loosen the reins. And uh, I wonder... I wonder why there's not more movies that feature kids that are being rebellious and, and, and going away and, and parents who are trying to deal with the aftermath of that because I think that's true to life in many ways. And yeah, I get it. I get that parents have a hard time letting go. I understand that. I mean, I'm not there yet, but I, I get that I'm going to have to get to that point where I have to let my kids go and like an arrow, I have to release them as arrows and, and off they go. But I wonder why movies typically portray parents as needing to get over this and, 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 and get over that tight grip we have on our kids and why we don't see more where kids need to understand their parents have raised them a certain way and taught them a certain way. And often these things are very, very good and, and they're not to be walked away from lightly as a prodigal son or daughter would do. That is our topic we're turning to this morning. How do you parent a prodigal son or daughter, a wayward person in your family. It's a difficult topic, I know, and I, can't, I couldn't think of any movies that deal with it properly. So I have no illustrations from that realm at all. <laughs> um, and I'm not going to tell you just to get over it and let your kids fly, you know. <laughs> because in some ways, when your kid goes down a rebellious path, you're never, just, you're never not a parent. You're never just saying, ah, you know, I'll just, I'll just step back and just let them go and not worry about it. No, no, we, we always worry about it. We're always concerned that our kids are following and loving the Lord and, and, and following the way of Christ. So that's a heavy topic. Uh, you can see my notes this morning uh, feature Rembrandt's painting of the prodigal son returning. Um, that's just kind of, that, that's the theme of the morning. But we're looking at the book of Galatians because we've been doing that for weeks and, and a few months now actually. And I would invite you then to turn to Galatians chapter 4, verse 12. That's where we're picking things up. I would say that the Apostle Paul is dealing with a church that he is worried is becoming wayward. A prodigal church, if you will. And as we read these words, I want you to hear Paul's heart. I want you to see how he's dealing with a group of people that are beginning to say, You know, believing in Jesus is good, but I really think we need to add the Old Testament law. It's Jesus plus law that really makes you the people of God. And Paul's saying, that is so far from the gospel, it's not even funny. If you do this, you will actually become cursed. 
If you go back to the law and make that the basis of your salvation, the basis of you becoming the people of God, you are in a horrible, horrible situation. So there's a lot of emotion here. There's a lot of emotion here going into this passage. We're going to look at verse 12. Paul says in Galatians 4.12, I plead with you, brothers, become like me, for I became like you. You've done me no wrong. As you know, it was because of an illness that I first preached the gospel to you. Even though my illness was a trial to you, you didn't treat me with contempt or scorn. Instead, you welcomed me as if I were an angel of God, as if I were Christ Jesus himself. What has happened to all your joy? I can testify that if you could have done so, you would have torn out your eyes and given them to me. Have I now become your enemy by telling you the truth? Those people are zealous to win you over, but for no good. What they want is to alienate you from us so that you may be zealous for them. It's fine to be zealous, providing the purpose is good, and to be so always and not just when I'm with you. My dear children, for whom I am again in the pains of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. How I wish I could be with you now and change my tone because I am perplexed about you. As I read this passage, what strikes me is this sounds a lot like a parent talking to a child. And he says that. My dear children, you you see this and you go, this is Paul's heart for this church. This is Paul's heart for a wayward body of Christ. Now, the Bible contains many stories on prodigal children. Maybe the very first one, if you don't count Adam and Eve, but maybe the first true prodigal son would be Cain, right? It doesn't take long in your Bible to get to the point in the story where you've got a son that is born and goes so far astray from what he ought to know is true and Cain kills his brother Abel over jealousy, over his sacrifice not being accepted by God. And I'm sure there's many other prodigals in the pages of Scripture. We could fast forward to the most famous story that I'm sure you have all heard, the parable of the prodigal son who says, I'm going to go away, Dad, give me my inheritance. And then he goes away and wastes the inheritance and he hits rock bottom and he realizes, hey, I've I've got a job feeding pigs and there's nothing lower than this. It would be better to go back to my father's house as a servant than to sit here in the mud and the dirt feeding pigs and longing to eat pig food. And so he goes back and his father embraces him. As you can see in the painting, his father loves him and he has no idea his father will give him this lavish act of love, returning prodigal son to the family so keeping that in mind and understanding that in our life we often have kids that go away from what we've taught them how do you how do you parent prodigal kids how do you parent a child who goes to college and says my classes are making a lot of sense here and i don't think this whole god thing is as clear as you've let me believe mom and dad I feel like atheism is a much better alternative to what you've given me. How do you do that? How do you do it when your daughter calls up and says, I'm moving in with this guy. I love him. How do you you deal with that? I realize there's many different scenarios. And I'm very careful this morning because I realize for some of you parents, you might have a prodigal son or daughter 
who is in your household right now. Maybe they're in their teenage years and you still have a good level of control. They haven't been released yet as an arrow flying away, but it's still hard because that independence is increasing and how are you going to deal with it? And I realize there's another kind of child that is our kids that are out of the house and and we get the call from them and we get this information and and, and it breaks our heart. And we say, what am I going to do? How am I going to respond to them? When I see them over holidays, what will I say? What will I do? Maybe that was the story of your Thanksgiving. How do I deal with this? So I realize I'm preaching maybe to two different kinds of parents. The ones that have the prodigal still in the household and that kid is just not listening to your direction. And those that are parenting a son or daughter who are out of the house, but they're still breaking your heart. And I'm not going to offer easy answers, but I want to give some guidelines and principles for how we can parent either son or daughter, whether they're in the house or not. How that might apply, you need to apply some biblical wisdom of your own to that. But let's look and see how Paul deals with the church that he is far away from, and he's writing a letter to, to try to bring them back to the truth of Jesus Christ. Okay. Number one is in verse 12. If you'd look again at that with me. He says, I plead with you, brothers, become like me, for I became like you. You've done me no wrong. Number one is we model our faith. We model our faith. And if you're, if you're new here and visiting, there are notes in your bulletin. You can take notes uh, with the sermon. Um, there's just some blanks to fill in. Number one is you model your faith. Paul says, become like me because I became like you. I think he has in mind, I, I came to your church, or, and actually, you know, with, with him starting it, you know, I, I came into this group of people and, I, and I, I started this thing. I feel like a spiritual dad and, and I, I'm sure that I adopted some customs of yours. I wanted to become kind of like you. Now you need to become like me. I'm someone who doesn't obey the Old Testament law as a means for being accepted by God. I respect the law, I respect the Ten Commandments, I respect all the laws of the Old Testament, but that is not the basis for me being okay with Jesus. So I want you to be like me. Don't, don't take on the shackles of the law again like these people are trying to get you to do. Be like me. So I start the message with that, knowing that when it comes to our families, the old saying's true. More is caught than is taught often. That is, we can lecture our kids, we can try to teach them with words, and I highly recommend you use words. I'm going to get to that in a minute. But our life tells the story to our kids. Are we living out our faith for them? You have to understand that living out your faith consistently really is teaching them something. And this is why. Because in the parable of the prodigal son, the son goes off, right? And he wastes his father's inheritance. He has lots of friends probably while he's got all this money. But then the money runs out and he is alone. He is alone. Well, except for the pigs. But he is alone. And, he, and he's looking at the pig food and he says, I have sunk so low, it'd be better to go back and be a servant in my dad's house than to do what I'm doing right now and be so hungry. When you model your faith, you are showing your kids a consistency that they're not going to see in the world. Okay? When you model your faith, when they hit rock bottom and they think, 
my parents have shown me a better way by the way that they live. That's just you being consistent with your faith. None of us are perfect all the time. I'm going to come back to that as well. But everything I'm going to say, the next five points, are really dependent on, number one, can you model this thing? Can you keep it together when life is tough with your son or daughter? Can you live out your faith consistency? Consistently. So, example. Your daughter wants to bring home her boyfriend whom she's living with for Christmas. What do you do? How do you live out your faith in that situation? Do you reject them and say, you're not even coming near our house this year? Is that modeling the love of Christ to your family? Okay, I'm asking the question because I'm not trying to give easy, pat answers like if this happens, you need to do this. But I'm asking you to wrestle with this. How do I model my faith when this happens? I'm telling you, I've been in family situations where I've seen this very thing play out where the daughter brings home the live-in boyfriend and everybody in the family pretty much ignores him. I've seen it. We, we talk to her. She's part of the family, but we ignore him. Don't even hardly acknowledge that he's there. I've seen it. And so I ask, is that modeling your faith? I personally don't feel that it is. How do I model my faith to the daughter who, who brought this guy in? And how do I model my faith to the guy who also needs Christ? How do I make that happen? It's not easy, and I'm not giving an easy answer. But I say, if we're going to understand the next five points, we have to start here and say, will I model this? Will I be consistent in this? Because in the world, there's no consistency. People come, people go. You might make it rich, and you might be doing well, or you might hit rock bottom. But your consistent faith is like gold in your kid's life. Okay, that's the first one. Number two, let's read verses 13 through 18 again. Remind ourselves what he says here. This is kind of a longer stretch. He says, As you know, it was because of an illness I first preached the gospel to you. Even though my illness was a trial to you, you didn't treat me with contempt or scorn. Instead, you welcomed me as if I was an angel of God, as if I was Christ Jesus himself. What's happened to all your joy? I can testify that if you could have done so, you would have torn out your eyes and given them to me. Have I now become your enemy by telling you the truth? Those people are zealous to win you over, but for no good. What they want is to alienate you from us so that you may be zealous for them. It's fine to be zealous, provided the purpose is good, and to be so always, and not just when I am with you. Number two is this. Parenting a wayward son or daughter means you need to talk about your relationship and talk about the truth. You talk about your relationship and you talk about the truth. This is what Paul does, and it's, it's brilliant. He says, remember when I visited you? Remember how it was between us? Remember my, and I'm assuming he means an eye problem here. Remember how I couldn't see well, and you felt so bad for me, and if you could have given me your eyes, you would have? There was real love there. That's a real relationship. Remember my illness, and even though it was a trial to you, you took care of me. You took care of me. That was love. That was a relationship. That was beautiful. And he's reminding them of all these things. And that is also what we ought to do with our kids. They may be going off the deep end, but when they come and visit, you talk about the fishing trips you had with them. 
You talk about the time they took the hammer to knock their tooth out, right? You may want to take the hammer to them now, but you remember the tooth story, okay? Remember that story, okay? Um, you, you recall, you laugh, you, you spend these times together because this is still your son, this is still your daughter. God has given you this person in your life and you can't change that parental bond. You can't change the fact that God has entrusted this person to your care. And yes, I've heard stories, I have heard stories of parents that have held a funeral service for one of their kids just to say, you are dead to me. But, but this relationship is so much more important than that. Okay? You need to remember the good times. You need to talk about them. That's your bond. And that's important for that child to remember that connection to the parent, even if they're breaking your heart. I heard a story once of parents who, who tried to put this into action with a daughter of theirs who um, moved out to the East Coast, got a job in acting, and she invited her parents to uh, come to her, uh, her performance and it was, it was a pretty major performance in a major musical. And her, the parents came out and they went to the musical and it was very, oh, it was very sexually immoral, <laughs> the play was. And it just broke their parents' hearts. It confirmed a lot of the things they'd already been seeing in their daughter. Afterwards, they went out for, for dinner, went to her house, and their daughter was, was using foul language. I mean, it was like a different person. And they thought, how are we going to respond to this? Are we going to criticize her performance, criticize the play, and go off on her like this? Or will we seek to love her anyway? And, and they went with option B, and they went for the, the affirmation that they could, the only affirmation they could give her without saying, hey, it was a great play. We loved every, you know. They didn't go there. But they still wanted to save the relationship. And I believe that's very important. Now, we don't save the relationship at the expense of truth. Okay? So we talk about the truth. Paul says, have I become your enemy by telling you the truth? Okay, Paul never minced words here. I mean, we, we've been reading Galatians for a number of weeks now. He just doesn't mince words. And there's a place for that. There's a place where we need to sit down and say, you're my son, but we got to talk about this. Son, I was reading the newspaper and, and I see that you got the DUI. We got to talk about this. We've got to talk about the elephant in the room, okay? There, there's a place for that, and we have to go there. We can't let the issue just become a, a, a silent elephant that no one wants to touch. We have to go there. We have to talk about it. But I say that point because I realize there's some of you that want to ignore it. Like, my son's 30 now. I'm not going to talk about these things. He's living his life. And even though I know this is all going wrong and this is all bad, I'm not going there. We have to go there. We still have to go there. But there's a difference between going there and harping on it every time we see them. Okay? And I think that's the thing that, that, that those parents did when they went to that performance on the East Coast with their daughter. They knew they'd had the conversation and they knew they could move beyond that and just keep modeling their faith. Just keep the relationship as strong as they could. There's a time to talk and there's a time to say, We've had this talk before. We're just going to keep going with the relationship. So that's a balance. Relationship, telling the truth even though it hurts. And I'm not telling you how to balance that, but I'm saying there has to be a balance of that. Now, if you're my grandmother, 
you can tell the truth every time you see your grandkids, okay? All right? My grandmother passed away two years ago. But when you were with her during the holiday season, you never knew what she was going to say to you. But it would always, (laughs) usually it would be a couple different options. Have you been in church recently? She'd always ask you that. And then she would always ask you, are you ready for the Lord's return? And of course, those questions were meant to get at the heart of where are you at with your faith? Grandparents, you're, you're huge in this whole process. You are huge in this. Because some of you can see your grandkids and you can be the cranky old grandpa and ask those questions and get away with it. Okay? And you know you have a lot of rope there. Okay? You, it's all right. You can get away with it. My grandma would see me come in the room and say, you've gained weight. <laughs> like, oh, no, 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 no. Not good. But you know what? Even though I, I, I dreaded those words, I never faulted her. How could she get away with that? She could. She just she was grandma. She just could. So grandparents, just under great grandparents, I heard some, did someone say that. <laughs> Understand the length of rope you have with your kids. How, how much can you get away with? I think go for it. Alright? Just just okay. There it is. There it is. Um, I, I think my feeling is parents have to be careful because if they harp on the same old issues, in some ways our kids take that as, you're rejecting me, you hate me, I don't like you much either, I'm out of here. And I'm not sure that's a good way to go. And I will talk about rejection in a few minutes here. So I'm going to come back to that. So you talk about your relationship, you talk about the truth, you've got to balance that thing and, and pray for wisdom on how you do that. Um, But I say don't harp on the truth every time you see the person. Number three uh, is in verse 19. Look at verse 19 with me again. First three words. My dear children. My dear children. As far as the Galatian church had gone astray... Paul still says, you're my kids. You're my kids. I accept you as them. And that brings up the sticky point, and and number three, by the way, is um, you love unconditionally. In fact, you could change the word love to accept. You accept unconditionally your kids. You love them and you accept them. This is a sticky point. Because I do believe there's some things, there's such a thing as tough love. I know a pastor's family who had to say to their son, the drug use has to stop. You're not doing that in our house. You're destroying your life. And if, and if you're going to keep doing this, we're turning you over to the world. You'll always have a place here. You can always come back here. But you can't live here and, and do what you're doing with the drugs. I know there's a place for tough love. And he went into the world and saw it for as bad as it was, and he came back. <laughs> okay? And he got clean. I think he went to Teen Challenge and, and got cleaned up. I know there's a place for that. But I caution you against rejection. Because we as parents can take actions to say, I reject who you are as a person. You have no place in this house. Don't come back for the holidays. We don't want to see you here unless you do this, A, B, and C. And I know why we do that. We do it because we want control. We want to get control back. 
And so we do this. We say, if you want a relationship with me, then you have to do these things. And that's us as parents trying to control our kids. I don't think rejection works as a strategy for parenting a prodigal. I don't believe it does. Even though I would allow room for some tough love, extreme situations. When you reject a person in a certain way, I believe it solidifies their position. Okay? You're not coming back here. The kid says, fine, I don't want to be back here. I'm not coming back for Christmas or any Christmas for that matter. And they're solidified in their rebelliousness. You're solidified in in, in saying, we don't want you here. And and there's no room for growth there. I don't think rejection is a good strategy, even though we feel like we want to control the relationship in a certain way. Better to accept them unconditionally. Uh, When Rembrandt painted this, um, you look at the father's hands. I'll call attention to that really quick. One hand is certainly more masculine, and most people think the other hand is much more feminine. And it's thought that Rembrandt did that to show that even as a father, there's, there's this harder, tougher side, but then there's this also this gentler side as we parent. And that he was going for both of those when you see the hands on his son. We have to love our kids unconditionally. There's a story of a young man who got into drug use, got caught, shows up in court. The judge says to the parents who are also in court, what do you advise that I do with your son? The dad says, send him to jail. He needs to pay for what he's done. The mom bursts out in tears and says, don't, don't, don't do that, please. Send him to a place for, send him to a home for juvenile delinquents. Send him somewhere where he can get some help, but don't send him to jail. Neither are easy solutions, but one seems to be driven by love and the other by let's teach him a lesson. We need to be careful. We need to be careful. Because when our kids feel like we are rejecting them, that can solidify their rebellion. And that's the last thing we want for them. It's the last thing we want. I spoke with a parent once who was struggling with this. The parent's talking to me on the phone, talking about his son, and he said, um, I told my son he's not allowed to date right now. My son said, I'm going to date, Dad. You're not going to stop me. The father said, then you're not living here. The son said, fine, I'll go live with Mom. She'll let me do what I want. And the dad's talking to me, and uh, he wants my support because his this son was still coming to youth group and he wanted to get me in on this and and I wanted to be a help I wanted to I wanted to help shepherd his son but I remember talking to him on the phone and thinking how are you going to love your son if he's not living with you right now and the father's response was he knows how to call me he knows where I live he has a driver's license let him come and try to work on this relationship and honor me as he should. And it's true, his son did need to honor him. And when I spoke to the son, I said, you do need to honor your dad. We talked about all this. But I said to the father, 
does your son know you love him? And that regardless of whether he dates or not, that you still love him and accept him unconditionally. How are you going to show that love? Are you going to call him? Are you going to write emails? Are you going to offer to take him to lunch? What are you going to do to prove your love to him? Because he still needs that. He still needs that and you're still his father. And the father did that. He, he made the effort to make sure the lines of communication were still open. And I think that's important. That's what prompted this letter for Paul. He's not letting this church go astray. He's like, I love you, you're my kids, and I'm going to keep loving you. I'm going to keep loving you. Not easy. Not easy to do. Fourthly, fourthly, look at verse 19 again. My dear children, for whom I am again in the pains of childbirth, until Christ is formed in you. I'm in the pains of childbirth again until Christ is formed in you. Number four is you suffer through the waiting. How do you parent a wayward child? Part of it is just waiting and it kills you. And you've got to understand that's part of the deal. That's part of the deal. He says, it's like I'm giving birth. It's like I'm giving birth. Let me tell you about giving birth, what I know about it. <laughs> Derek's being born. Christy's in labor. Wake up in the middle of the night, how inconvenient. <laughs> Driving Christy to the hospital. And I remember there was a blizzard. There was a blizzard. And I remember, I remember many deer that I had to swerve to miss. No, I'm just kidding. But there were lots of deer. They weren't running into the road, but they were standing by the road scaring me, okay? It's like three in the morning, and I got the steering wheel, and Christy's in pain, and we get there at the hospital, and I'm all stressed out. <laughs> Christy is thinking about an epidural, and they say, it's way too late for that. You're about ready to push. And, uh, <laughs> and there we go. Uh, let me tell you my part during that delivery. I brought a prop. <clears throat> my part in delivery. You can do it! <laughs> you can do it! All right, all right. <laughs> Man. <clears throat> okay. Okay. <laughs> For those of you that have a wayward son or daughter, the emotional turmoil can be like giving birth again. That's what Paul's saying here. It hurts. It hurts. And I don't say that because you don't know it. I say it for those of us who don't have kids that have gone off and done their own thing and are breaking our hearts. I say it for you that don't know. This is why. Because this is us who don't have the kid. And, and I get it. I get it. 
I drove through the snow and I saw some deer and it scared me a little bit. I was a little bit stressed when Christy was giving birth. I know. But my experience does not compare to hers, okay? And you can amen me on that, okay? Um, my experience does not compare because I'm sipping a Coke standing by the bedside saying, you can do it. Parents who have not had a kid go astray in a major way, you're sipping the Coke. And don't you ever say to one of those parents, I guess you didn't do a good enough job training them. Don't you ever even think it. Because I know parents. I know parents who have messed up and their, and their kids would say, my parents had issues. And yet, kid after kid after kid after kid turned out great and loved the Lord and are serving Him. And I know parents who love the Lord with all their heart, soul, and strength. And kid after kid just kept doing their own thing and breaking their heart. And you say, what is going on? Right now, I know, I am sipping the Coke. (laughs) I don't have the wayward son or daughter. And so there is no judgment coming from me. And we have to be a church that says, if we never had this experience, we're going to support you. And that might be as simple as, you know, me leaning over the bed saying, Christy, you can do it. It might be as simple as us saying, I know this is killing you. You can do it. I know the weight is so hard, but you can do it. We are there for you. We're praying for you. And there's no judgment coming from us. That's why I give the Coke example. (laughs) Because some of you parents that have not had that experience need to be incredibly gracious to those who are in it. You suffer through the waiting. You suffer through the waiting. Until Christ is formed. Number five. Um, Look at verse 20. Look at verse 20. Paul says, How I wish I could change my, how, how, how I wish I could be with you now and change my tone because I am perplexed about you. I am perplexed. Fifthly, you work through the confusion. You work through the confusion. When you're parenting a prodigal son or daughter, from what I have read, it's a very lonely feeling. Because you look around at the church and you say, look at the Jones. (laughs) Their kids are becoming missionaries. Look at the Smiths. Their kids going into parachurch ministry in the inner city. And then I look at my kids and I don't know what happened. I don't know what happened. I sat across the table from a mother once. Her son has chosen to live with his dad. And she said, Is this God punishing me because I had him out of wedlock? You better believe there's confusion when your kids go astray. My response to her was, I don't know God is the punishing God that punishes his children who are Christians. God loves you. There's no condemnation in Christ. Why would God be out to punish you? Does God allow sin to sometimes work itself out naturally? Sure he does. We sin 
and consequences happen, and God does not always shield us from those consequences. He does not. I wish he did, but he doesn't. And so I said, certainly, your, your, your son, and she was at odds with her son. Her son was kind of like, I don't want you to call me. I don't want you to write me. I don't want you involved in my life. I'm living with my dad. He was, uh, I think he was in early high school years. And it's like, what did that mom do? As far as what I could hear from her side of the story, she didn't do anything to deserve that strong of a response from her son. So there's confusion. And she's sitting across from me, and what what do I make of this? I don't have an answer for why your son is doing what he's doing, but I can tell you that God's not going, ha, take that. See how you handle that for what you did. That's not the God that we serve that loves us intensely as a father. He disciplines, and he doesn't always shield us from our sin, but he's not a God who delights in punishing us. And so we, as Christian parents, sometimes look back and say, I know that we don't meet the standard. I know that I'm not perfect. And sometimes that works against us. Sometimes knowing what the Bible requires of us makes us feel guilty. I can think back at times in my life where my parenting fell so short and I did something that was just like, why why did you do that? That was so, so unbiblical. Why would you do that? But that's where we confess the sin and get free of it. That's where we examine our life and say, am I living with false guilt? Am I beating myself up over things that I can't control and and I got to leave it with God? Sometimes as parents, we want to create our, we want to think of ourselves as the bad guys because then at least there's an answer. At least I have the answer that it's me. But we have to account from the, for the fact that our kids still have wills of their own. They know we're not perfect, but they still get to decide what they're going to do with their life. Will they follow Christ? Will they not? We can't make that choice for them. So I think there's a lot of false guilt that goes with this whole issue. And if it's false guilt, you ought to pray that you're released from that. You ought to. If there's an outstanding issue between your son or daughter, one son told me once, he said, he was in his 20s, he said, my father abused me, I spoke to him about it, and he will not acknowledge it. I know he did. He says, I'm making it up. I don't know how you make that up. that father won't deal with that very real sin. So if you have a very real sin and you you can name it, I do encourage you to go to your kids and confess it, receive forgiveness, get healing, get reconciliation. But I also realize there's a lot of false guilt going around that Satan likes to throw your way to confuse you. You got to work through that. You have to work through that. If it makes you feel any better, God is a God of many prodigals. If you think of ancient Israel, how many times do you read in the Old Testament that they go astray? I mean, they know they were freed from Egypt. They know about the Red Sea. They they, they recall their relationship with their father, you know? They, They know all the history. And yet they still rebelled. They still worshiped the Baals and the Ashtoreths and all these other gods. They still did it. And it broke God's heart. 
if you feel like you're alone in this, you're not. First of all, there's other parents going through it with you. And second of all, your father knows well the feeling of, of, of parenting a child that's prodigal. Your father knows it very well. So when you talk to him about it, this is not an unknown feeling to him. And guess what? He's the perfect father. Even the perfect father has kids that go astray. Just so you know. Finally, lastly, number six. It's not in the text, but I would not preach a sermon like this without saying it. Number six, whatever you do, keep praying. Whatever you do, keep praying. Don't give up. Don't stop praying. And I know I'm preaching to the choir right now because if you're a parent concerned for your son or daughter, I know you're praying. Don't give up the hope. Don't lose hope. Proverbs 22.6 says this, Train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not turn from it. That can be a very painful word to parents who feel like they did the training and they don't see the child abiding by it. That can be a painful verse. It's wisdom literature, first of all. It's not a guarantee. That verse is not a guarantee. That's why when you read the Proverbs sometimes, you'll, you'll, see, it, uh, you'll see it say something like, uh, don't answer a neighbor according to his folly, you know. Another verse that says, answer a neighbor according to his folly. It's wisdom literature. It's not absolutes. It's good principles, though. But let me say this about that verse. You don't know, parent, if that verse will be fulfilled much later in life. We read that verse and say, when he is old, he won't depart from it. That must mean in the 20s, right? It must. It must be the 30s. I mean, if it's not the 20s, it's got to be at least the 30s. But you don't know if it's 40s, 50s, 60s. You don't know. When you pass away and go to be with the Lord, you still don't know when your child might return to the faith that they were raised with. So hold on to that. And keep praying. I want to close with this story. One of the most unruly kids in youth group in the 10 years that I was a youth pastor, won't say his name, but he would own up to it because we laugh about it. This kid thought it was funny to do things like this. He's at a big Christian music festival, Life Fest in Oshkosh. Wouldn't it be funny to tip over the porta potty with someone in it? <laughs> Not kidding. Not kidding. When I would go to youth group, I had to get there early. Because if he got there earlier than me, well, you never knew. One week, he got reams of plastic and put it on this hill that went into this little pond at the bottom, and they were sliding like a giant slip and slide all the way down. And of course, there's no supervision. If someone gets hurt, whose fault is it? Mine, of course. Uh, I, I could tell you stories. I think he was probably one of the reasons we banned energy drinks from youth group trips. I think I walked into his room one time. We were in districts. And he had his tub full of ice and, and monster energy drinks. 
His bathtub, that is. You don't need a bath when you have energy drinks. I mean, that's just how it is. Let me write you, let, let me write you, let me read you what he said to me when he was out of high school. By the way, he did leave the youth ministry once when I confronted him on an issue. When I went kind of hard on him and I said, this has to stop. You can't do this and keep going to this youth group. I remember going to his house and sitting down. It was intense. And I said, I just can't let you go down this road. And so he left the youth group for a few months because he was mad at me. This is what he wrote me. Niall, since it's Ministry Appreciation Month, I thought I would pick you to appreciate. I'm so happy that you're my youth pastor because you were so awesome to look up to. I mean, you've taught me so much about God and so much about how to live for God. I want to be like you when I get old like you. <laughs> just, just kidding, you're not old, but thanks again for loving me. One of the last people I went to dinner with before I came here was that guy. Took me out to dinner. I think he's the only student who took me out to dinner as a thank you and paid for it. <laughs> and paid for it. <laughs> we ate many more chicken wings than we should have that night, but it was memorable. And he said, thanks. He said, I don't know where I would be if I didn't have you in my life. And, and I thought, I thought when I confronted him that time and he left the youth group, I thought, that's it. He's done. I mean, he is done with me. Just want to say there's hope. There, there, there's hope. Keep praying. Keep loving your kid. Keep accepting them. Have the hard conversations at times when you feel like the Spirit is leading and it's the right moment, but don't give up. Uh, let me talk about a couple of resources I have. I'm not giving them away. I'm just, I'm just suggesting them as books you might want to buy on Amazon or go to your local Christian bookstore. Um, this one's called The Hurting Parent. You have these in your notes in your bulletin, by the way. Um, this is an excellent resource. And, and how, do you, how do you parent the prodigal child? Basically what I've said today, a lot of it's in here and even more. It's awesome and it's short. Don't you love that? I mean, it's, it's good. I'm going to leave these in the front. You can, you can peruse them after the service, okay? Um, the Return of the Prodigal Son by Henry Nouwen. Henry Nouwen meditates on this parable we went through today. Um, and he meditates on the painting that you see right here. Um, it is definitely more of an introspective book. It's not telling you how to deal with anybody. <laughs> it's really for your own soul. It's for your own soul. So just for a devotional read, wow, it's amazing. So there it is. Uh, and then these two, whether or not you have a prodigal child or not, are just excellent parenting books, and they do deal with the hard issues as well. How to really love your child and how to really love your teen. I've read both of them. Again, they're short. They're excellent. They're written by a Christian uh, doctor, D. Ross Campbell. Highly recommend them. They're really good. They're for anybody and everybody. How do you love your child? How do you deal with your own anger over what they're doing? Okay? Extremely practical. Highly recommended. I will leave them up here. I'll turn the podium around and you can check those out afterwards. Um, buy a copy for a friend if you think that's a good thing. Um, there it is. Um, we're going to close in worship now. If you want to talk more about this, let's talk afterwards. There's no, uh, no uh, cross-training. There's no classes meeting. 
So if you want to chat, we can chat. If you want to call this week, make an appointment, let's do it. Worship team, come on up. We're going to